chapter. And it's chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And then we're going to go all the way into chapter 3, verse 7. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. For he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as you can see, there's nothing contentious there tonight at all, so, so it'll probably be a very boring sermon. Let's, um, let's pray that the Lord will speak. <laughs> Lord, we believe you are a speaking God, and we pray, send your spirit on us this evening, on me as I speak, on us as we listen. Speak to us through the scriptures. Help us to understand what you are saying to us today through them, and give us grace to be more like Jesus. 
and we ask this in his name. Amen. When I was a student, I heard the uh, vicar tell this story about the uh, previous Archbishop of Milan. I've looked it up, and as far as I can tell, it was actually the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris uh, back in the second half of the last century, who was preaching uh, in Notre Dame and said, several years ago, uh, before the Second World War, in fact, there were a group of boys praying, uh, playing outside uh, uh, a big church, I think in uh, Orleans. And they were bored, and they didn't know what to do, and they dared the sort of leader of them to go into the church and find, go into the confessional, a Catholic church, where there'd be a, probably an old priest sitting there to hear confessions, and come up with a spurious confession, make up terrible things, try and shock the old boy. And uh, so they were bored, and the leader, a boy called Aaron, went in, Jewish background, wasn't fussed at all about what happened in a Catholic church. Uh, he went in and he came up with this catalogue of stuff. And the old priest clocked what was happening. Not as stupid as he may have looked. And he said, very well then, my son, on your way out of the building, I want you to look up at the large crucifix. There was a large cross like that one that's had uh, Jesus depicted as being on the cross. I want you to look, as it were, into Jesus' eyes and say three times loudly, you died for me and I don't give a damn. And the boy thought he could do that, so on the way out he looked up and he said, you died for me and I don't give a damn. You died for me and I don't give a damn. You died. And he could not bring himself to go through with it. In that moment, something of what Jesus had done hit him. And the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris said, I know that's a true story, because I was that boy. And at this impact of what Jesus had done on the cross for him had completely turned his life around. Now Peter is writing to a whole group of Christians whose lives have been turned upside down by Jesus. Because of what he'd done on the cross, their lives are changed. They are changed much for the better inwardly, but outwardly things are tough. It's the first century, it's probably about 64 AD. Nero's persecution is getting going in Rome. This letter is written to the Christians in Asia Minor where, the, where it's tough, not quite as tough as in Rome, but that would come in the days that lay ahead. And he's writing to them to help them live godly lives that honour Jesus in a difficult situation. Uh, so the first couple of verses of our passage, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, says, Dear friends, I urge you as... Foreigners and exiles, this is, their identity is not that they are so much citizens of that country, and then you're in exile, they are citizens of heaven. Uh, if you are a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. Heaven is our home. We are living in this world, but just passing through. We love this world, we want to do the much good we can to this world, but it's not ultimately our home. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. I told the story about three or four weeks ago of a time where I was moving from Hinckley to here but hadn't yet done so, from one vicarage to another, and we'd just bought a house that we were going to rent out to pay the bills, and we'd lived in that, and I had this crisis of identity. Where do I belong? And the Lord reminded me, you're a citizen of heaven. You're passing through. And Peter is writing to these Christians scattered around the Mediterranean, reminding them 
that they are citizens of heaven, exiles in this world. They are to live with the values of heaven. A bit like ambassadors have to represent their country uh, abroad. They live with the values of their home nation such that people get an accurate sense of where they come from. Uh, and in this passage, the theme that runs it all together is the way Jesus submitted to unjust suffering. And Peter's emphasis at this point in the letter is we need to be like Jesus when things are unjust, when things are not right. We don't stand on our own rights, but we submit like Jesus did. Now, when it comes to other people, we contend for other people's rights. That's problem. But for us, when things are hard, Jesus submitted, and we have to learn from his example. Uh, now, we sang earlier in that song, I am who you say I am, that we are free. And we are actually free from having to get our own way. I remember learning this uh, as a child. Um, in the olden days, when there was one television, there was no video, there was no catch-up, there was no Netflix. It was the very olden days, you can imagine. Uh, so if there was a program on telly, it was on, and if you missed it, you missed it. And from time to time, my sister and I would want different programs. And I remember noticing that if I got my way, I didn't actually enjoy it as much as if she got her way and I snuck in the back and watched it. I didn't like to admit that. Uh, but there's something about giving way that actually is releasing. We don't have to get our own way. We can submit to others. Uh, first of all, though, we are to submit to God. So verse 16, uh, Peter says, you live as free people, uh, but we're free not to have to have our own way. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's servants or God's slaves. If you are a Christian, you've bowed the knee to Jesus as your Lord, and we serve him. Uh, it's a tremendous paradox that his service is perfect freedom. There's an old Anglican colic that says that. And you will have started to discover that. I spent time this week, uh, the thing I was rejoicing in that Katie asked us to think for us, I've had three conversations with three different people who've come to living faith in Jesus over the last few months. And all of them, in their own way, have talked about this sense of growing in freedom inwardly as they serve Jesus. What they think will be repressive to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord is actually releasing. He is the Lord. So everything about us, everything about you, belongs to him. Uh, my money belongs to him. My time belongs to him. My energies belong to him. My reputation belongs to him. Uh, I often think about the principle of first. If Jesus is the Lord, I give the first tenth of my income to him. I give the first day of the week to him. I give the first hour of the day to him. We, we honor him first and trust him with how everything else will work out. And once we submit to God first, we then submit to others. So verse 13 of our passage says this, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor, that's Caesar, or to any other. Now, this is an amazing thing to say, because Christians would rightly not worship Caesar as Lord. Jesus was Lord. Submitting to Caesar does not mean worshipping him, but it does mean honouring him, even when Caesar is oppressing the Christians. Uh, and when you submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, the government, your boss, uh, within marriages, to each other. Now, like it or not, this world is set up as a series of authority structures. A family, 
where parents look after children and children submit to parents. A school where children do what the teachers say. A workplace where you have to do what your boss says. A church, a government, uh, a social club which has, has structures. Every, every one of these things is a little authority structure. And we are to submit to the authority structure in a way that would honour Jesus. Now, uh, if you don't like authority structures, you are on the wrong planet because this is the way that God has set things up. Uh, I heard a talk when I was uh, a young man of 21. I heard quite a series of YWAM talks by a wonderful old guy called Dean Sherman. Uh, and it was him who first used this illustration for me that really captured it. He said, imagine one of these authority structures, a family, a school, a workplace, a church, a nation, whatever. Imagine it as a city of old. You might like to imagine it as Warwick, just down the road, with great thick walls all around it. There's an east gate and a west gate. There's probably a castle there. Uh, and there are fields around, and everyone's free to live. But when an enemy comes against them, they all come inside the thick city walls, and they are safe. That's the idea. And the authority structure is there to provide security. When parents do a good job, that's a blessing for their children. When uh, teachers do a good job, that's a blessing to the, to the children. Uh, if you have a good boss, that's a blessing to you. If we live under good government, that's a, that's a blessing. But if you have bad parenting or teachers or bosses or government, that's a problem. Uh, it's set up that there's authority structures which are there to protect. Now, uh, there's a verse in the Old Testament in Samuel, put this up, 1 Samuel 15, 23 that says rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. And I remember hearing this and think, now that is crazy. I prided myself as probably a little bit of a rebel in those days. And this brought me up short. And this wonderful old YWAM teacher, Dean Sherman, explained that if you are part of an authority structure, God calls you to submit to it. Uh, witchcraft, if you like, is like opening the front gates of the old city gates to the enemy and saying, come on in. Come and wreck this place. But rebellion is like opening a little gate at the back or taking some stones out, but the enemy can get in anyway. And we are to submit ourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority structure. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree with everything. The early Christians did not agree with everything Caesar did. And many of them were tortured for that and gave their lives for it. To submit means that you can protest in a godly way, but you don't complain if you're had up. Jesus, the example of Jesus was that uh, he was utterly unjustly crucified, but he submitted to that. Uh, I learnt when I was a student, one of the clergy at our church in Oxford, David Pryor had been a vicar in South Africa in the days of apartheid. He said submitting to that government did not mean agreeing with it. It meant protesting. It meant fighting for the rights of the poor. But he said it meant if I was arrested and put into prison, I didn't complain. That was the government. And the New Testament has uh, a rich understanding of government. You have both on the one hand it's set up by God and on the other hand it can be used terribly by the devil. So classically, Romans 13 and Revelation 13. I think I'll just show you both of these uh, in case you haven't seen this before. So on the positive hand, Paul says in Romans 13, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. This is what Peter's saying in this letter. 
For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. That's a very positive view of the state. Then in Revelation 13, you have a fairly negative view of the state, where it's described as the beast. Uh, Revelation 13, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. It goes on to say in verse 18 of that chapter, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. It's the number of man. That's 666. This is a very devilish view. And both those are there in Scripture. Some, when, a, when a government is godly, it's doing good, you honour it for doing good. When it's beastly, we, we have to protest and honour the Lord first. But we still have somehow to submit to that. Uh, now, in this country, we don't face that, thank God. But some of our brothers and sisters do, and this is hard. In the morning services, we're focusing on Daniel, who in exile had to submit to King Nebuchadnezzar, a megalomaniac, unpredictable, how to act in a godly way. This is hard. Uh, some of you face this in your workplaces. How do you submit? Uh, in a morning service a few weeks ago, I told the story of a lady from Chesterfield where I was a curate uh, about 30 years ago. Uh, and on the way out of church on Sunday morning, I said, I was by the door and she, I said, how are you? And with a big smile, she said, I lost my job this week. I said, I'm so sorry. Uh, why are you smiling? She said, well, my boss, I was a secretary. She said, my boss insisted I typed a letter that I knew was a pack of lies and I refused. And he said, well, I'm not having anybody sit in judgment over me. And she said, I thought about saying one day you will have someone sitting in judgment but I didn't say it so I prayed blessing on her she came back a month or two later and she bounced up to me and said I got a new job I said great what did you get she said my old boss phoned me up and said he needed a new PA and he wanted someone he could trust and he asked me to come and be his PA <laughs> isn't that interesting it's a lovely example of someone who submitted to, to the boss didn't complain when she was sacked that submitted to God first, wasn't going to lie, didn't complain, but then was honoured. I, lo I love that story, never forgotten it. Now what Peter is saying is that this sort of submission is the way of Jesus. Let's read the heart of the passage, verses 21 to 24. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. This is the example that Jesus gave us and we follow his footsteps. And this needs great wisdom. Jesus was quite capable of protesting against the authorities. Uh, indeed, he'd done that in so much, he made life awkward for them, that that was why they had him up. So we need great wisdom in how to submit, 
If our government makes ungodly laws, we can protest about them. We can disobey because we're obeying God. But we still need to honor the government. This is, this is the sort of gist of what he's getting at. We are free not to have to get our own way, which can be a terrible burden. Now, this sort of submission is amazingly effective it, for, from Jesus. It won our whole salvation, our forgiveness. Uh, and Peter gives two examples of people who are in very difficult situation. Uh, slaves, and there were many ver- versions of slavery at that time, who have perhaps ungodly masters. He says this from verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. So again, it's like, like um, Paul said, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. You fear God first, then submit your masters. Not only to those masters who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. If you put up with something that is unjust out of trusting God, uh, there's something where God, that's the way of Jesus. Uh, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered to you, leaving you an example. So slaves is one example. The next example he gives is Wives who've become Christians, whose husbands are not Christian. Now remember, we're talking 2,000 years ago, uh, where men had all the rights and women had none. Uh, These are women who've come to faith in Jesus. They've discovered a freedom, a dignity. But their husbands haven't come to share that faith. How are they to behave? Uh, So Peter says to them, wives, in the same way as Jesus. And he will later say to the husbands, Uh, In verse 7, we could just go uh, to verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. So both in the same way as Jesus. So let's just go back to uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Sorry, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. This is not about being repressed. This is about how to act if you are in a really difficult situation. So a Christian wife with a non-Christian husband who is not sympathetic. He's saying, don't go on and on with words. That's not going to... But by your life, be like Jesus. Uh, Now, it's not always right to be quiet. Next week, just an appetite wetter for next week, Ruth will be preaching and we'll have verse 15, which says, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason they hope you have. So these non-Christian wives, presumably, if the husband said, well, tell me about your Christian faith, they're not going to say, no, I'm not meant to do that. (laughs) Of course they talk. But in general, they don't go on. Uh, They are to, like Jesus, submit to their husbands. Now, the Bible is clear that men and women are equal, husbands and wives are equal, and Paul in Ephesians 5 says we're to submit to each other. But here, Peter is addressing the wives whose husbands are not Christians. Then he also addresses the husbands, and the only ones who will be reading this are the Christian husbands. And he says in verse 7 that they are to, in the same way as Jesus, to be considerate as they live with your wives, treat them with respect as the weaker part of that. That doesn't mean less important. I remember as a teenager uh, listening to a talk where the speaker brought out a metal teapot and a china teapot and said, which is weaker? 
well, the China one, which is more valuable? Well, the China one. So it's, let's not get hung up about these things. But we are to, husbands, we are to be considerate as we live with our wives uh, and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder our prayers. So, now, think 2,000 years ago, this was utterly radical. It doesn't sound so radical today. Of course we're meant to be considerate. 2,000 years ago, they would, wives were treated as property. So whether you're a husband or a wife, whether you're a servant with a dodgy boss, whoever you are, whether you're living with a nation that's uh, making bad rules, we are to be like Jesus in the way we submit. Uh, back to the first, almost the first verse, chapter 2, verse 13 says, it is for the Lord's sake that we do this. We don't stand on our own rights. doesn't mean that we don't say, uh, there may be civil disobedience if there's an ungodly government. It may be saying this isn't right. And this is where it needs great wisdom and God's Holy Spirit to guide. Is this a situation where we should be quiet? Is this a situation where we should protest? Uh, just one more thing. There's a, let me make a comment on verses 3 and 4. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Uh, this is to the wives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. He's not saying you shouldn't look nice. He's saying you put the effort, more effort into godliness than into glamour. If you're putting more effort into glamour than godliness, you're getting it the wrong way around. It's, the, it's being like Jesus. Is Jesus worried about his outward appearance? No. It's he's worried about his godliness. That's what we need to worry about most. Uh, let me bring this into land. Let's put up the love, just go back to 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24. And as we bring this into land, think, where does this most apply to you? It may be at work, you've got a dodgy boss. It may be at home, this is the difficult thing. It may be in some sort of, it may be a, a society or music club or sports club you're part of. It may be struggling with what the government is doing. In this land. Where does it apply to you? Peter says, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. And if you can think, Lord... If you were me, how would you behave here? That's the first step. Uh, I wonder if you'd stand and if the band would come back. We're just going to pray into this for a couple of minutes. If you're a visitor here, we're gonna, you've been sitting very patiently for a while. It's time to stand. Uh, we're going to pray that God will just continue to minister to us by his spirit. Each of you will have different situations going around your head. You may want to talk to the Lord about those. You may just want to ask him to come and wash you. I often breathe in, Lord, fill me with your spirit, and then breathe out. Take away what's not like Jesus. I want more Jesus and less of me. So, Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We are in awe of how you were quiet before Pilate when you were about to be crucified, though the whole thing was so unjust. We praise you that you trusted to the Father and that you took our sin on yourself and that because you did that, we are forgiven and set free. We praise you for that freedom. Help us to know it more. But thank you that we're free not to have to get our own way. Give us grace to submit to each other in the church. Give us grace to be more like Jesus in our workplaces, in our friendships, 
in this very nation. And as a church, may we be more and more like Jesus. So come Holy Spirit and minister to us, we pray. Let's just be still.